Hello everyone and welcome to this stagey place, a podcast where I, Elliot, get to chat all things theatre with those who work behind the scenes in this industry. And throughout August, I am celebrating the Edinburgh Fringe, which returns to the city after a two-year hiatus, with this podcast interviewing some of the companies who are coming up to the festival around the UK. Last week, we heard from Keaton Saunders-Brown and Jessica Millwood, who were representing Blocktoff and Fritz and Matlock. And this week, I am so excited to be bringing you my chats with two extraordinary women, Alice Underwood and Charlotte Antilly, who are representing their solo shows, Don't Ask, Don't Get Baby and Almost Adult, to which Alice and Charlotte are both credited as writer and performer in their respective productions. So, let's get on with the episode, where first I'll be bringing you my chat with Alice Underwood. Hello Alice, and welcome to this very special edition of The Stage Place. Would you like to introduce yourself and your show? Yes, hello, I am Alice. I am the writer and performer of Don't Ask, Don't Get Baby by Happy Accident Theatre. We're performing at... Greenside Infirmary Street um, in the Ivy Studio from the 15th to the 27th, not the 21st, at 1.45pm. Great. Tell us what Don't Ask, Don't Get Baby is all about. So, Don't Ask, Don't Get Baby is a coming-of-age story with the added complication of coming to terms with being a donor-conceived person. So it's an autobiographical story. I was conceived through egg donor IVF. And I was told when I was about 14 or 15. So the show kind of explores going right from my childhood all the way kind of up to about my early 20s and how that information has kind of influenced me throughout my life and how it shapes my identity as who I am now. So we we describe it as a love letter to mums and mothers, donors and doctors. And it sounds a bit teenage angsty, but it's actually like so filled with joy and celebration at all the kind of weird and wonderful ways that families are made up and kind of just to celebrate what makes everyone a little bit weird and why that's so lovely, basically. Yeah. And obviously you've done this show before in the past in London. You're now bringing it up to Edinburgh. And before we talk about the changes that you're making for Edinburgh, let's talk a little bit about how the audiences have received the show in London. Because I know that since you've done the show, you've done lots of talks with lots of different people. So what kind of impact for you personally has the show had, plus all the audiences that have come and seen it? Yeah, it was so interesting, actually, because it kind of got a lot more traction than I thought it would from the donor-conceived community. And I remember saying to Iz in rehearsals last June, July time, and I said, if one donor conceived person sees this, I'm kind of happy. Like that's ticked a box that I didn't necessarily know I would tick because I didn't really know how to reach them. I didn't know where they all were. You know, I'd never met anyone else as far as I'm aware. And actually since doing the show, it transpires some people I did know are donor conceived, but it just wasn't spoken Uh, about. Yeah. I got in touch with the donor conception network before the show last year, and they shared some of our press releases and I think we did like an offer for their members for tickets and stuff and people came from that area like not necessarily theatre goers a lot of them stayed after and had a drink with me and chatted and 
a lot of them were parents of donor conceived people with like quite young donor conceived children we were getting instagram dms because we did the live stream as well the live stream went nuts it sold in like 13 different countries and it it was crazy (laughs) (laughs) all because there's a massive online community of kind of donor conceived parents and people and yeah, I met someone in particular called Becky, who runs an Instagram account called Defining Mum, who has three egg donor daughters who are, I think, really little. Like I think her oldest is five. And we just got chatting and we really got on. And I've done three events with her now, two over Zoom and one in person. And it's been amazing to be kind of integrated into that community and mm. talking to about it in that sense because we were performing in London at a fringe venue I really thought the people that would be coming would be London fringe theatre goers but we managed to reach a a new stash of people which was amazing yeah and so let's talk about the show coming up to Edinburgh I know like you just said in the previous answer there that you've had quite intensive rehearsals recently so what's it like remounting the show for Edinburgh and what can audiences expect differences from the London production last year yeah that's such a good question and as as you said like it's been so intense the last couple of weeks I think like two and a half three weeks ago I wouldn't have been able to answer this question it's such a funny thing and I think with the nature of autobiographical work is that it's never finished it's not something that happened and is done it's kind of like we we got a review once and it said a one-act play with no inciting incident. And that's kind of it. Like, it's not like something happened and this is the aftermath. It's kind of like this thing that's woven in that just always exists. And so I think Izzy was just like, well, of course we have to change it before we go to French. And I was like, why? There's nothing wrong with it. And she kind of was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. We got in the rehearsal room and she was like, you are a different person from when you made that. And the response to that show does shape the way that I feel about things now so Mm. it's the nature and the fluidity of the work that's meant we've kind of had to go back and look at it and we're like well if we're actually really trying to be authentic all the way through like this storyteller character is quite deliberately trying to be as open and as real as possible yeah we have to go back and check if these things are still what we would consider to be authentic and I think we got quite bogged down with it at points. Okay. And there is that, well, actually, can you twist the truth? Like, this is still theatre. Like, it's yeah. not, not writing an autobiography. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, and we've reworked the ending about three or four times right. in the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually absolutely cracked it yesterday and yesterday and fi- was that the final rehearsal it was our final full day rehearsal yeah. so we've got a three or four next week yeah so the script literally we've said so many times it's done it's done it's done yeah. and now it is done. I physically yeah. need it to be done we both spoke about it we actually like we went to a coffee shop before our rehearsal on Friday and spoke about ideas because we just hit a bit of a wall with it and Iz came up with this idea and I was just like, that's amazing. And then we we kind of scrabbled some things together on Friday night and then yesterday we were like, right, let's go for this. And it was amazing. Like, it just felt, for me, I found the joy in the show again and was like, it felt so fresh. So it's hard to say what's really changed without ruining it and I don't want if people are going to come and see it and have seen it before particularly 
it's kind of just almost directly acknowledging how the process of making the show has actually been one of the biggest contributing factors to how I feel now about being a don't conceive person and how I respond to that now. And I think it's kind of a a nice little nostalgic reflection on the 22-year-old version of myself who started making the show and how actually she thought she had it all together then and maybe she didn't and maybe I still don't now but this is where we are at this point so that's all we can show really amazing perfect and so for audiences then who are coming up to come and watch the show or have booked the show what do you want them to take away from the show one thing me and is have always gone on about and this is something we want for a happy accident as a company no matter what show we're making is all about making the personal universal and using quite specific topics. Like there's not, in the grand scheme of things, there's not a huge amount of donor-conceived people in this country or in the world in, in terms of how many people there are. But we want you to be able to tap in. Everyone individually can tap in and find something that kind of appeals to them or something that really resonates with them. And whilst I want them to, to an extent, I want them to learn about what, it means to be a donor conceived person and I want them to know about that but I also want them to leave being like oh that really felt familiar or comforting or I just want everyone to find something in it whatever that is and whatever they need to take from it I want them to be able to take something away but it's also kind of a cop-out as an answer like I want them to find whatever they find yeah Um, I want them Ultimately, I want them to leave with a massive smile on their face. I want them to feel joy. That's been such a word of the last two weeks, like where the joy, how can we share the joy? And empowered by, now, as I said before, we all have something that's a bit weird about us and maybe this is my thing. And if me sharing my little weird thing, I mean that in the most like affectionate way, then hopefully they can be empowered by their quirks and their differences. And we can all celebrate the fact that we are all different. And that's a really great thing. Yeah. And so moving on to my final question now, Alice. So you've been up to Edinburgh before. For audiences who are coming up to Edinburgh this year, what advice would you give them in terms of tips or any handy, you know, tip bits for coming up to the Fringe, maybe for the first time? Well, I'm going to be practical first. Yeah. Sensible shoes that won't let in water because it will be sunny one minute and then the next minute, you will be drowning and you'll get horrible feet diseases if you're not careful. Also, two raincoats, wear one, dry one. That's important. But no, more about the actual festival. I think the overarching advice is like, you're only there for a few days, maybe two weeks. I mean, a lot of people like a whole month or whatever, but just do it, just go for it. If you're thinking about it, just do it. Like go to that thing that you think might be really weird because I always say that actually seeing a show that you don't necessarily like Mm. is just as good as seeing a show that you do really like because you can still interrogate it and be like, well, why didn't that work for me? Or why didn't I like it? And I think one of the best things you can do as as a theatre maker or anyone who works in the industry is watch as much as you can and as varied things as you can. And I think on that, it's really good to not fill your schedule before you get there. I remember kind of last time I went, there were so many things that, you know, you work in theatre and everyone you know is up there. Like none of my friends are in London anymore because they're all in Edinburgh. (laughs) You get up there and you're like, oh, that person wants me to go see that with them and that. and, And then, but then you're like, well, actually, I've just learned about this other show that now I have no time to go and see. Yeah. So 
almost have to let yourself have a really empty schedule and then get there if you're going for like two weeks and then get there and see what's actually happening because it's all very well seeing stuff on twitter but then when you get there and someone's just like you have to see this like you know that maybe no one's ever heard of before so yeah like just go for it and yes much as you can yeah absolutely (laughs) i found that uh this year like you said there don't pre-book stuff like this year i've not really done that at all i've got a couple of things coming up but i've got like a lot of time and space you know available and it's usually just sat around the courtyard around the pleasant's courtyard where people are just flyering for a show that you probably don't even see in the booklet because main edinburgh fringe brochure is absolutely massive so you do miss stuff all the time because the times are always so small uh compared to prices and stuff so yeah you do just find some absolute magic nuggets and i always think a poster as well is quite eye-catching and quite bold yeah absolutely well alice thank you so much for coming on for today's episode would you like to remind people about your show and where they can see it yes i would we are doing don't ask don't get baby at ivy studio greenside infirmary street it's venue 236 we're on at 145 from the 15th to the 27th of August, but not the 21st. Brilliant. Alice, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And there we go. That was my interview with Alice Underwood from Happy Accident Theatre, who are bringing up Don't Ask, Don't Get Baby to the Edinburgh Fringe. You can look at booking tickets for their show by clicking the link in our episode notes wherever you are streaming this instalment of The Stagey Place. We're now going to jump straight into our second interview of this episode with Charlotte Antilly from Almost Adult. Hello Charlotte Antilly and welcome to The Stagey Place. How are you doing? Hello, thanks for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. We're talking in the middle of July. We've got a couple of weeks before the start of The Fringe. Tell us a little bit about your show and whereabouts it's at at the moment, a couple of weeks leading up to The Fringe. Yeah, so my play is called Almost Adult. It's a solo show that follows a character called Hope who is a very naive young character who's very funny and she goes to London with all these expectations of what it's going to be. She's going to like find love with Hugh Grant and all these things and then basically her bubble gets burst and she has to relearn what her values are when she realises that the reality of what adulthood was going to be, this sort of ideal fairy tale she has in her head. Yeah, and so has any of the stories in the show been stories that you've replicated from your own life, or is it all made up for the character? It's, yeah, it's definitely, I would describe it as semi-autobiographical. Okay. Like, there's stuff in the story that is sort of there, which is maybe a hint of truth in it, but I've created it for the narrative and then there's there's a really big sort of thing that the character faces of um, basically facing sexual harassment in the uh, in the workplace and trying to come forward about that and realizing that because she's not sort of ever handled any kind of corrupt system before she thinks she can go forward about it and it'll be dealt with in a way that's correct and ethical. And that's based on something that happened to me. I, I experienced sexual harassment. The company I work for 
they didn't have HR and then I ended up losing my job and that absolutely stunned me that that happened and just created this fury and I just wanted to tell that story of what happened basically. Yeah and so tell me a little bit about that then and how that's come about with the show because like what kind of audiences do you want to come and see the show and what do you want them to take away from it? I mean the thing is because we've done two runs before it's been interesting to see the people that are coming to the show Yeah, and I'd say our target audience is uh, young women and people in that sticky stage of life sort of between being a teenager between being a quote-unquote adult and not fully knowing who you are or like what you want to do with your life but it's ended up appealing to parents of those people parents of teenagers people who are in their 30s that remember that time and can sort of be like oh god it was awful <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of nice that it is appealing to and it's appealing to men as well like it initially I didn't I wrote it to sort of create a sort of kinship with other women who've been through this but yeah. actually men have watched it and it's created a sort of fury within them as well yeah and it's like oh god like I didn't realize this was happening sort of thing yeah, absolutely. So you were saying there that you've already done two runs of the show in the past. So how have audience reactions and audiences' comments helped shape the show? Like, has anything changed? Has there been any development since the runs now leading up to the Fringe? Yeah, definitely. It changed. It's funny. It's it's very subtle the way that it morphs into something new. The thing that's changed the most, probably, maybe the character and yeah. and her voice and how her voice can be most powerful. And I think initially I didn't realise that the naivety is really who she is. Like yeah. she, she's completely, has such a morphed view of what the world is. And for the story to hit and for it to be funny, like that's how the comedy works. That's also how the tragedy works. Realising what audiences respond to and them saying, oh God, this character, like the fact that she's going through it makes it so heartbreaking has then made me go more into that in the writing yeah and also just women coming up to me afterwards being like oh god this has happened to me I did like so like 30 chats with women who had sort of come to me out of a post I put on social media saying I've experienced this and just hearing like the emotional impact it had on them and the strength that they were able to like come out of it even stronger even though it was a terrible experience like yeah. that really impacted the story as well yeah and let's talk about women in fringe and coming up to the edinburgh fringe we were talking a little bit about this uh before we started this recording yeah. so you on social media put out recently that you wanted to celebrate the femi fringe and this is women in fringe theater coming up to edinburgh with shows and you actually reached out and wanted to reach out to women who were bringing up shows let's talk a little bit about what you did yeah so um it all started there was a male-led theatre company who were on twitter and for whatever reason they were uh, sort of complaining about the amount of female-led work that was at the fringe and it was brought to my attention by a company called f-bomb who are making uh, incredible like female work with similar themes to what i'm doing mm. And essentially, we got into this sort of discussion on Twitter about the way that theatre has for so long been dominated by the same voices. Uh, and even now, like on the West End, it's still that the majority of creatives, whether it's like playwrights or, or actors, is still dominated by men. And hence why it's with the Ed Fringe, because that's where we can we can do that ourselves. We don't need anyone to commission us. We don't need anyone to 
tell us that our stories are valid we can just book a space obviously financially it can sometimes be difficult but yeah. we're allowed there to yeah. share our stories and we do we women do women have something to say beautiful things to say and so that's why I think it was really sort of damaging that this person was saying actually there's too many female voices let's go back to it being sort of 80% men and yeah. anyone else that can manage to get their voice in some way will get them in so F-Bomb made this incredible calendar of um, female acts they wanted to see throughout the fringe and um, I made a Femi Fringe map with nearly uh, 100 female and non-binary artists and theatre companies who were just bringing such a, a diverse, it was like circus performers and solo yeah. shows and comedy shows and some of them are like kids shows and things like that. They all have like unique things to say. And we wanted to sort of reclaim that hashtag and, and celebrate the female and non-binary work. Yeah, and I think it's amazing as well. I think over the past couple of years, there's been a real support for emerging artists and just unrepresented artists that you wouldn't find if it wasn't for the fringe scene. So obviously, I think you've been to a couple of fringes before. Am I right? I went to the fringe. I went in 2019 for the first time. I was amazing. Alone. I was like, whoa, this is so yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about advice that you may have for people who are coming to the Edinburgh Fringe for the first time this year in 2022. It's the 75th anniversary. The Edinburgh Fringe is back. Charlotte, what advice would you have for people who are coming for the very first time? So this is advice that I've sort of come across accidentally through the fact that the Fringe hasn't been on for the last two years. Yeah. But I would say doing previews is like one of the best things you can do. Just like booking a room in, in London, maybe if you're based in London or wherever you're based and just doing the show maybe two or three times. So like a supportive audience of friends and family, because we did that accidentally because uh, I was initially just going to go in 2020 with a very sort of shaky plot <laughs> and fully worked out what I was doing. And because we were obviously postponed, we we then were able to just explore so much more yeah. and, and get honest feedback from friends and family before taking on like, you know, this beast of the fringe. So people have time to do that. Or if they're thinking of going next year, I would definitely recommend doing that. And what would you like to say about supporting other artists in the Edinburgh Fringe this year? What are you looking forward to seeing at the fringe this year i'm literally gonna cram in as much as possible i mean i, I really want to see there's a few sort of i'm recently discovered a musical comedy incredible like creative just hilarious people like there's um someone who i've mentioned a couple of times i did another interview i mentioned this guy he's called the jazzy mute and he does these like bizarre hilarious songs like he has a song about you know the old tv dvd thing where there's like there's like a dvd it's like really obscure yes. it's, basically the song is i'm waiting for the dvd logo to touch the corner of my tv <laughs> that's, that's amazing it's just like there's nowhere else you would come across that and in the Edinburgh Fringe I'm just really excited to see people that are just doing like obscure stuff that is like just completely unique to them and their voice yeah amazing well Charlotte thank you so much for coming on to the stage of place today let's talk a little bit about Almost Adult and let's remind ourselves when is Almost Adult on at the Edinburgh Fringe this year so we are doing the whole Fringe from beginning to end uh, except for one day off, um, yeah. we will allow ourselves that. <laughs> so the 
to the 28th, we're on at 1.40 and it'll be on at Gilda Balloon Patahoose yeah. um, and it's in the snug. And what will you be doing on your day off? Oh, I'm actually going to be seeing basically a lot of the shows that's on the Femi Fringe map. Work my way through those, I think. And someone mentioned a beach. I'm aware that there's a beach not far from Edinburgh. <laughs> I'm going to go to the beach. Fingers crossed that the weather is nice. Not as nice as what we're getting at the moment. It is mid-July. The temperatures yeah. are soaring, but hopefully it will cool down a little bit. And also it's up in Scotland, so it should be a little bit more breezier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, let's be honest, I'm probably going to be doing my laundry on, yeah. on my day off. <laughs> very true, very true. We've got one day off. I think it's a couple of days before your day off. And I'm a little bit undecided about whether or not I'm going to go in and watch some shows or whether or not I'm going to, you know, take the back seat. I don't think I'll really know until the actual day how I feel. Whether or not I've got FOMO about not being at the fridge for one day out of the whole month <laughs> is the thing that I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did I did hear some advice of people being like, just go away for your yeah. day. Off, just go away. I'm yeah. like, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, Charlotte, thank you once again so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to chat to you. And there we go. That was my second interview of this episode with Charlotte Antilly from Almost Adult, which is being performed at the Gilded Balloon throughout the whole of August. I'd love to thank Alice Underwood and Charlotte Antilly for being my guests on today's episode of the podcast. If you want to hear more about their shows, like I said earlier, you can look at our episode notes on this instalment of The Stagey Place. So join me next week when we'll be chatting to the team behind The Man Who Thought He Knew Too Much, Volox Collective and Chew Boy Productions Caligari. Do make sure to also check us out on social media at The Stagey Place on both Instagram and Twitter for all the Edinburgh Fringe content. And until next week, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye. <laughs>